0: Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we speak to higher education thought leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of this industry, and pick their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, Evolution Editor-in-Chief and Illumination host Amra Alawalia is joined by Ann Innes, the Senior Director of Academic and Professional Programs at the University of Utah. Um, Amrit and Anne discuss the responsibility higher ed has to create pathways for underserved communities and how to properly assess the performance of a continuing ed unit.
1: Anne, thank you so much for joining me on the Illumination Podcast. It's great to have you.
2: Thanks. It's great to be here.
1: Oh, we're obviously, we're going to be talking about a, a range of topics here. We're going to be talking credentialing. We're going to be talking attainment. Um. And I want to start off with Stackable Credentials. Now, you and I, we, had, we chatted last week um, about some of the work that you and your team are doing in Stackable Credentialing, specifically around bringing language education and professional certification uh, together into a single sort of harmonious experience for learners. So could you share some of the work that you're doing in this space and, and the impact that it's having?
2: Absolutely. So um, it started about a year ago. We were looking at data. Um, around a couple of our programs. We're looking at our professional education data in, we also have um, community and general English offered through our CE unit. And we were looking holistically at programs, what programs were in demand, what did we have high enrollments in, what did we also see need for in the workforce? And we noticed that two programs that were um, filling classes with complete wait lists, term after term after term, we're our project management fundamentals program and our general English levels one through three. And as we're looking at employment data, we knew project management was in demand. We also saw the word bilingual appearing in lots of spaces. So we're looking at our programming and thinking, well, we have an in-demand English course and we have an in-demand project management fundamentals course. And there were about three of us in the room and somebody said, could, could we stack those? Well, why couldn't we stack this? Um, and so we sort of bore out this idea of what could we stack general English skills with in professional education. And we, we decided to start with our project management fundamentals program. Um, we ran a cohort, a pilot cohort this year, we were able to pretty quickly find funding. Um, funding for student tuition, funding for laptops, funding for hotspots for students who needed them. And so we opened up applications. Um, we did one small TV spot. So we got 400 applications for 30 spaces um, in the span of about a week and a half.
1: Huh.
2: So there was interest. Um,
1: and- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some. Yeah,
2: some interest. Um, and it was a big ask because normally our programs um, they don't last that long, right? Project Management Fundamentals is an eight-week program. General English runs sessions one, two, and three. They're eight weeks apiece. So to put three sessions of general English and project management together, those four eight-week sessions, that's a 32-week program. In a a CE unit, that's a really long program. But students were excited. They were really excited when they'd come in to do their English placement tests and they were ready to commit. So we took 30 students through in this pilot program. Um, We graduated almost all of them, not quite all of them, but almost all of them just a couple of weeks ago. And while we're still looking at job attainment, we know some of the students have taken promotions or found new positions um, as a result of the program. We don't have full data yet because we're just about two weeks out of finish. But we also took the temperature of students who were just completing. Where were they that day? Um, We had a little ceremony for them, gave them their certificates. Um, All the faculty from both English and project management came. And the joy and the excitement and the sense of potential in the room was just Um, you could not account for it. Mm -hmm. So following that, we thought, well, what else could we stack with general English? And the answer I think to that is pretty much anything. Um, It's really about having those whatever two programs, a good general English program and a good professional education program, and then looking at what is the bridge between the two. So one of the things we had to do was provide a language lab during the project management course, Um, one night a week, folks would meet in Zoom. In addition to their coursework with us, they would meet that one evening. And we had an English teacher in there who would pre-teach some of the vocabulary. So when the Mm -hmm. students got to the next session of the course, they were already ready for some really content-specific vocab that might have taken longer in the classroom, but they were more prepared. Um, So what we really focused on was how do you build that bridge between the two programs? And we discovered that it really wasn't that big of a bridge. It was just, it was really about vocabulary and about student interest and excitement. So we're looking to run another cohort in the fall. And then we're also looking at about two other programs. We're, you know, working on securing funding right now because key to this has been being able to provide it tuition-free for students. Um, But when we sit back and we say, well, what else could we stack? Mm. I think with English language, we could stack anything. Well, This is really
1: interesting because it starts to get at the heart of what, A continuing ed division does. There's a responsibility to be accessible, to serve the community, to create pathways to to work, and, and especially to create pathways to, or access to education to folks who are traditionally underserved. This really seems to tick all those boxes.
2: I think when we think about barriers to education, we often go to things like time, we go to things like transportation, we go to things like money, and those are all critical and we need to continue to think about those. But one thing we don't hit hard enough, I think, is language. How do you make sure that that English isn't a barrier as well? So -hmm. not only do we need those general English skills, but that language lab, that pre-teaching and scaffolding of the vocabulary was such a critical component of the pilot Because it allowed students to go to class for project management and not have those extra questions, right? They were able to get the whole class without any additional teaching during the class because we'd front loaded that vocabulary. And I think that we think about bilingualism as such an asset, but leveraging that in the opposite direction, right? I know there's a lot of research out there that tells us we need to really recognize leveraging English as a second language or an additional language as an asset. But this really, I think, takes that to heart and says, okay, if if English is the barrier, we can we can do that. We can teach English.
1: Specifically designed to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, You know, let's let's take a step back here. And and there's there's a bigger picture at play, which is against the backdrop of of research that came out uh, very recently. Um, We know that uh, in the US, in order to sustain the health of our economy in order to sustain the, the workforce that, that we know we need. Um, the Lumina Foundation has set a target of 60% attainment for adults. We also know that 39 million adults have enrolled at an American post-secondary institution and, and not earned any kind of credential and now that high quality non degree credentials are being considered part of that you know it's no longer a completion target that's just looking at degrees it's an attainment target that takes non degree credentials into account the work that you're doing seems very relevant here because it's about how do we create pathways to, to attainment of high quality certifications and credentials for folks who need pathways to, to middle, middle skill work? What role can CE play in starting to minimize dropouts and increase attainment to maybe start chipping away at that, that 39 million people that have some, some, educa- some post-secondary education, but no credential?
2: Sure, I think it's, um, so on the one hand, I think, that expanding that definition of attainment has been such a critical piece because we're now able to say, if these folks who are, are completing a general English and professional education stack, that is attainment, right? That, mm-hmm. that ticks the box. But in terms of engaging those 39 million students who have some post-secondary education, I think that CE can play an interesting role in terms of the pathway it provides between that academic campus experience and the alternative credential experience or the experiment, um, Mm -hmm. the as a place to experiment. Because we often think about pathways and sometimes we think about CE units as pathways to, um, into an undergraduate degree. And that can be done through um, return programs, that can be done through flexible gen ed offering programs. We see CE units offering those often. But when we think about that pathway, we usually think about it as a one-way pathway. We think about it as going from CE and then into academic campus, right? Into a traditional four-year degree, regardless of the amount of years, undergraduate degree. But I think if we begin to conceive of that pathway as actually bi-directional, we can make a dent in that 39 million students, but also prevent some future folks from taking a break that ends up being a not coming back. And when I mean bi-directional, what I think is that we think of students going from CE to academic campus where they're enrolled in a degree program, but what about those students who enroll in an undergraduate degree? I had a conversation with a friend the other day who was saying, they enrolled out of high school in gen eds. They didn't know what they wanted to do. So after a year, they they stopped. But what if that pathway from the gen eds in, on academic campus actually could lead back to CE, to our CE units, so that students wouldn't mm-hmm. lose engagement with the university, but they could experiment in content courses in low stakes, low cost, um, not not um, in time intensive commitments, right? You don't know what you wanna major in, great. Let's go back to CE for a, for a semester. Let's take a short-term workshop in digital marketing. That one's not the one, okay, let's try our coding. How'd that one work for you? And let's experiment in, in offerings. Again, there's, it's not gonna affect the student's transcript if they decide this is not for them. They're not investing a large amount of money. And on top of all that, they're staying engaged in the university. They feel like part of the community. They're still wearing the sweatshirt. Um, We haven't lost their student basis. And I think that keeping students engaged, giving Mm -hmm. them a place to experiment, giving them a place to try new things, they find the thing and then that pathway goes right back to the university, right? Back to that undergraduate degree with focus. Maybe that undergraduate degree isn't for them. Maybe they take the pathway back to CE and they say, I love this R coding. Actually, I'm going to take the coding boot camp because that's the credential I want. Yeah. That pathway, when it moves in both directions, it allows students to have access to more education that is in line with what they're looking for.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, that's this is I mean, this is exactly what student centricity looks like, right? And if we talk about concepts like the six year curriculum. We talk about concepts like lifelong learning, and it comes back to this idea of how do we make sure that The institution is offering the the right education solution at the right time for the right learner. And that doesn't necessarily always mean we have to push them towards a degree. And it also doesn't mean that we need this binary structure where either you've completed or you haven't, and either you're educated or you're not. And that's that's kind of the end of the discussion. If you think about how continuing education can start to influence those directions and those decisions, it does come back to this concept of, well, how do we enrich... The, the degree process, how can we create pathways for folks who are pursuing a degree or are thinking about pursuing a degree, but maybe want some kind of credential on route to completion.
2: And I think the other piece to, to think about with that alternative credential is that it certainly can provide a methodology for getting to that degree, because maybe what you want is a master's degree in computer science, and that's your eventual lifelong goal. But one of the barriers, to that for you happens to be financial. Something like an alternative credential in coding cybersecurity, whatever it is that you're interested in, can provide meaningful employment, gainful employment that helps you get there, maybe it takes longer, but it can provide a a pathway or, or by bringing down other barriers or addressing other barriers that make it difficult to get to that other degree. In addition to the function of time, It's something that can allow you to spread that degree out over a little bit more time, which may be what you need, right? With with given personal responsibility, given other responsibilities outside of the university. I think that working in tandem, the degree and the alternative credential can be a powerful option for students.
1: Absolutely. So one of the obstacles to making this happen, like how how do we start systematizing some of these concepts?
2: I think one of the most difficult challenges around this notion of the bi-directional pathway is that there's not generally a joint set of services between CE units and academic campuses. So when a student's enrolled, when they're taking credit load, when they are a matriculated student, they have access to great advisors, they have access to mentorship, they have access to a lot of campus services, mental health services. They need to visit the food pantry or the diaper pantry Those services are all available to students who are in in matriculated classes, right? Credit bearing classes. And taking that pathway to CE means that we're in non-credit classes. So we students lose access to a number of those services. And I think a key one is an advising role. A key, I mean, there are a number of services that are critical, but key to keeping students engaged in the university and on the path to a credential is that. Solid advisor, that person who is with them from the time they enroll until the time they complete whatever credential or degree they're completing. When you lose an advisor by going from um, main campus to CE, students tend to get a little lost, right? They're not sure what to enroll and they need a little bit of guidance. And that, that critical role, I think, if we could establish a set of advisors, success coaches, We're able to make sure students continue to get in touch with the person they need to get in touch with, um, and that they don't fall through. Right? They don't miss things, and they're never on their own.
1: Absolutely, that makes a ton. And I'm curious as well. You know, one of the things that that we talk about um, quite a bit is the the service gap. Like, is is a CE student considered a student um, as? the institution starts to combine as continuing ed starts to become part of what the institution writ large is doing Is as lifelong learning maybe starts to become more of a norm. Mm-hmm. How does the approach to services need to change to make sure that learners that are enrolled in non-degree programming are as well supported as, as those who might be coming, uh, as, as those who are pursuing degrees?
2: So I think one of the most interesting and and maybe not always accurately interpreted pieces of data that I have seen is that overwhelmingly the service that um, CE students most often request, do I have access to this if I'm enrolled in in a CE class, is access to the fitness center on campus.
0: Um,
2: uh, And I always find that to be an interesting piece of data, that that's the one that the majority of of programmers report. Like, I get this question a lot. If I'm enrolled in these classes, can I use the fitness center? And the answer is generally no, right? We're not paying fees, et cetera. But behind that, I want to ask, why do they want to use the fitness center, right? We know that exercise is a great form of stress relief. We know it's a great place to build community. We know that it's a great place for personal health and self-care. And so I think more than just thinking folks just want to exercise. Yeah, that makes sense. What I think folks are asking for with the fitness center and would ask for and beyond is how can I make myself a part of this community, but be care for myself here. And I think Mm -hmm. that those are the things that we really need to step back and say, we want to embrace these students, right? We want the students wearing the university logo. We want them to feel like part of the community. And these services are a critical piece of that. Being able to say, I, uh, you know what? This has been a really difficult week. I need to swing by the diaper pantry. Or I really need a mental health counselor right now. And you have them on staff and immediately available. Um, Mm -hmm. these These are critical services because our, our, just because we're taking a non-credit course, right? Just because we're a non-traditional learner, just because we're a working professional taking this course in the evening doesn't make us need those services any less. And it doesn't really mean that we use them differently. We might use them later in the evening or such, but I think I've always found that that request for the fitness center to be the one that says, I wonder if this is a gateway to, I need to blow off steam. I need to process what just happened to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, I wonder if we could learn what we could learn from asking folks, what is it about that? What need is that meeting for us beyond just physical fitness?
1: That's fascinating. That, that really, it's an interesting concept because then you're really starting to talk about how do we take care of the holistic student. And isn't
2: that, well, isn't that yeah. really what continuing at is about like professional programs, all the programs in CE isn't really about looking at the lifespan of the student, right? We don't expect you to be a particular age. We don't expect you to come with any particular background. We don't, mm-hmm. ex- we have no expectation of you other than you want to be part of this thing we're doing. Other than you're interested, you want to add to your skill set, you want to upskill or reskill or just learn something new.
1: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I'm curious, we're all, you know, as we start to talk about these these topics, you know, it is rare that you have an entire discussion about continuing education where we haven't once mentioned revenue or efficiencies or and and I have I will freely admit that I am absolutely part of the problem on that front, but it's it's a reality in this space because at the end of the day, like there, you know, this is being revenue neutral or generating revenue for the institution is a balanced part of the mission. There's, you know, the access, the community engagement, the impact on the one hand, and then the bottom line on the other. And when you think about assessing the the performance of a continuing ed unit, the the impact of a continuing ed unit, what are the metrics that we can, or maybe even should be using to determine, you know, how successful was the unit at following through and meeting its mission?
2: One of the first things I want to know is how applicable are our programs? Mm
0: -hmm. And I'm gonna
2: use that word applicable to mean a couple of things, but that's the space I want to sort of dwell when I'm trying to measure success. Are they too narrow or are they too broad? We don't want programs that are training folks to do one particular thing for one particular employer on one particular set of technology that may or may not exist in five years. By the same token, we do not want to be offering programs that are so broad students can't articulate a specific set of competencies and achievements at the end of them to an employer that they're uh, interviewing with. So that... Finding that middle ground of applicability is a measure that I am particularly interested, which is to say, if we're looking at employment data six months post alternative credential, how many of our students, not only how many of our students are employed, but also how many of our students are employed in different industries? How many industries does this one particular set of skills apply to? because we wanna give students options long-term, right? The alternative credential isn't about a quick fix. I mean, it's not about like, can we be employed for two years and then we have to do something again two years later. We wanna set folks up to be to go on the path they want to go on and maybe maybe they want the credential that will take them through a career. Have we provided that credential or have we provided a set of competencies in our programs? that allow them to shift industries or move on. So applicability is something I'm really interested in. How do we plan our curriculum accordingly so that we're right in that space of, of, I can move to a number of different places. And then another metric is much harder to measure, but I think equally important, which is how, how really internally satisfied are our students? We tend to ask them at the end of the classes, um, did you find this class useful? Did you like the teacher? Did you like the curriculum? But I'd love to hear what else did, how did you grow from this class? And what else would you like to learn as a result of it? Because if students want to continue, even if they're not going to, even if there's no level two of, their, of the credential they're working on, even if there's nothing after that, if they leave with questions, if they leave incited to ask more questions, then I think we've done a really good job. We've done a really good job of inspiring them to get the alternative credential they need to, to continue on the path they want to continue on, but also to circle back to that mission of the university which is to inspire thinking, to inspire interest, to inspire uh, a desire and a love of education, right? I, th- I think we can hit both marks, but but I think that our surveying at the end of programs is often too shallow. It's not focused enough mm-hmm. on where the student wants to go.
1: That's fair. And I think that's, you know, it's, it comes back to the idea of student centricity, right? Like, how are we what are the metrics that really measure the impact that we're having on, on the learners as opposed to the, the metrics that internally would determine? And there's probably space for both, but being, being maybe a little more open about the things that the learners are looking for can help to shape decision-making as well a little bit.
2: Absolutely, because I think we can't, uh, one of the other things I think we get caught up on, we get caught up on the bottom line. We also get caught up on post-credential employment data. And by all means, we need to keep a a steady eye on that, right? Because that is the purpose of many of our programs and many of our credentialing programs is to say, like, you wanted to upskill, you wanted to reskill, you wanted to pivot your career. We want to help you do all those things. So absolutely, we have to keep a keen eye on employment attainment post-credential. But that's not the be-all, end-all right? We are humans. We are more than just our employment. And how do we take that human aspect? How We want to monitor that human aspect. Are we feeding the human as well as their career? Because humans are not just their careers.
1: 100%. And I mean, that pretty much does it on, on my end. Is there anything you'd like to add about the work you and your team are doing with stackable credentialing, the, the focus you have on, on learner engagement or... Um, sort of how how CE divisions can start to address the attainment gap?
2: I think it's an exciting time to be working in a CE unit. I think we're in a period of time where um, attention is coming to our units, where hopefully some funding will follow that attention. And it's a really good time to be creative. It's a really good time to push that progressive idea forward. Um, and it's a really good time to sit back and say to ourselves, What barriers haven't we addressed yet? What programs do we have that could work together that we haven't conceived of before? Um, It's a really good time to take new ideas, to pilot and to move on. And I am so excited about stacking English language with our professional credentials. I uh, I could talk about that one all day because I think it is such a, it's a space we haven't moved to before. And it's a space where there is dynamic interest from students, from community members, from employers, and that the outcomes are enormous. Um, so I'm just really excited to be part of that particular stacking program. I'm excited to keep pushing that forward. And I'm really excited to be in continuing ed and to be in part of this conversation right now, because it is such a great moment to be in these units within the university.
1: Absolutely. And it's been an, uh, thank you so much
0: for taking the time out to chat. It's been a lot of fun.
2: Absolutely. It was nice to talk with you.
0: This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first Modern Learner engagement platform, Modern Campus supports every corner of the modern institution, from continuing and workforce education to student affairs to the registrar's office to marketing and IT. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of the modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.